Let me go straight to the sermon this morning. And I want to read from Psalms 32. And you might remember that uh, we are still in the reflection on resiliency. But we have sort of gone a little bit beyond it, but still remaining within that sort of zone of um, learning how to live life victoriously, learning how to thrive despite circumstances, learning to overcome our limitations, our brokenness, our addictions, uh, the negative influence of our past, and uh, learning how to, how to envision a bright future, uh, a greater future, that other self, that greater self that God wants us to become. Uh, learning how to dream in God for all the great things that he has in store for us, for our children, for our even further down descendants. I'm thinking right now of families that have um, been generationally afflicted by all kinds of, all kinds of traumas and, um, you know, addictions and uh, tragedies of all sorts and uh, learning to believe that our descendants will be blessed and, and prosperous and, and functional and growing strong in the Lord and doing great exploits for the kingdom of God and believing that and thinking that our life is, it doesn't end in our past that from our present we can go on to a, a beautiful bright positive future and then undertaking one step at a time those uh, steps of faith, those actions that will bring us into an actual enjoyment of that which we envision and which God has promised us that we will be able to achieve. So it's really, it's a, it's a meditation on victory, a vic living a victorious life, a victorious life that doesn't allow itself to be held back by, you know, destructive situations, setbacks, but that, you know, resilience is such a good word that bounces back, that has the capacity to be flexible, to, to be resistant and to, and to emerge stronger from difficulties than it was even before experiencing those difficulties. That's what, that's what I sort of envision in this word resiliency, which has so many different applications. And so we've been on that journey discussing different aspects of it. And I want to read briefly from Psalm 32, Psalm 32, um, because I want to talk about what I have called elements of the journey, elements of the long journey, elements of the long journey, those things that we need to put into practice in order to experience that resilient life, that overcoming life. And, and so I want you to listen to this psalm in the light of that, that some of those elements uh, involve confession, acknowledgement of where we are at the moment in order to go to the next place where God wants us to be, renouncing, rebuking, um, embracing God's good plans for our lives, rejecting those elements that keep us, you know, chained, these are key actions that we need to take. And so this psalm, at least it embodies this element of, you know, recognition, of confession, of acknowledging, and so on and so forth. It says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. In other words, you know, those elements of our past, we're blessed when God forgives us 
and covers them with his uh, mercy and his compassion. Th those dark elements of our past that now God covers with his forgiveness and his mercy. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. There you see this element when you, when you don't confess your sins, when you kind of hold them onto yourself and you don't acknowledge them, uh, you don't expose them to, to the light of the Holy Spirit, you know, your bones, uh, they dry up. In other words, there's a suffering that takes place inside. Our spirit is grieved by the fact that we're not acknowledging who we are and how we're offending God or offending others or being harmful to others. So it says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night, verse 4, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He's describing the effects of that sustained rejection and, and not recognizing who he is. God is against you when you don't acknowledge your defects. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. See, there's a change here now, an acknowledgement. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you when you may be found. Surely, the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. And I, I won't go much further because, because you, what, you, what you will see in that uh, uh, Psalm 32, that once he confesses, acknowledges, recognizes, then the tone of the psalm changes and it becomes positive. You know, uh, verse 6, therefore let all the faithful pray to you when you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. See, communion is restored. Uh, you will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And this is a promise that comes from God to him. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. You see, when, when you've cleared up matters with God and you've acknowledged who you are, what your need is, how you're offending others and God, then comes the blessing of God and he accompanies you through life. He teaches you. He counsels you. He um, shows you the way that you need to walk. But you first have to have that humble heart to acknowledge your need and uh, your sinfulness. There's not, nothing wrong with that, okay? So uh, this is what I want to talk about. I want to found that on that. But let me also place it in the context of what has... Because this is, this, uh, this is the third sermon of one sermon. I began uh, a sermon that, you know, they always break up because there's so much material that you, many times you just end up not having enough time to cover all these different things. So this is sort of the third part of that initial sermon about um, becoming... Free, being free to become what we truly are already in God. And what I said in the last time, two or three weeks ago, I don't even remember when, you know, is that uh, this journey toward transformation of the self, toward becoming what, who God wants you to become, to overcoming, you know, the shackles and the, and the burdens and the difficulties that hold you down in life and that prevent you from being all that God wants you to be, is a difficult undertaking. And by the way, this sermon that I'm going to be preaching, you can find it in the website under lionofjudah.org under, you know, sermons or something like that, whatever, you know, sermons of the day. You can, you can, you know where you go. Uh, you can find the outline. It's very schematic, so you can follow it there if you want while I'm preaching. 
So, you know, I have said that it, we have to accept that it is a difficult undertaking. The journey of self-transformation, of becoming greater, more powerful, more efficient, more uh, able to enjoy the blessings of God, to break through your addictions and so on and so forth. It is a difficult undertaking. We have to accept that it takes a long time. You have to adopt a long-term outlook and that you will be perfected in that zigzagging that, you know, you begin, you stop, you go another way, you return to the right way, and then you continue. All of these things, it's a long journey. It's the journey of a lifetime, the journey of self-transformation or becoming who God wants you to be. And that is partially because it's a very encompassing process. It involves all parts of the self, the physical, the neurological, the emotional, uh, the, the intellectual, the circumstantial, the familial, the, that is related to your family and your background. It involves all the elements. And this is why it takes a long time because it involves a transformation of your entire self, a rewiring of your spirit and your brain. So it takes a very long time and it's a journey that ultimately the, the end result is a self-knowledge and knowledge of God. Because until you know yourself, until you truly know what's going on inside you and what is holding you back, you will never be free to enter into what, what God wants you to become. This is what Jesus said, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Every, every psychological process, every therapeutic process, whether you go to a psychiatrist, a counselor, a, a psychologist, um, a, a, a coach, a life coach, it is all about, you know, leading you to that point of uh, illumination, of self-understanding, of knowing the springs that control your being, the, the, the little uh, screws and, and uh, nails and uh, you know, joints that, that are related to your life. It's the, the, knowing the mechanism, what makes you tick, even those things that you don't know. So it's a journey, and God uses all of these different moments of your life, even the falls and the failures of that journey toward self-transformation to bring you to lucidity, bring you to an understanding. And when you, a man, a woman who understands themselves, they're, they're more powerful than the man who conquers a city, says uh, Solomon. So this is all part of it. You know, so so I, I wanna, I'm pointing out right now that I've been talking about this being a long journey. It takes a long time, okay? And, uh, it, and I'm going to ask uh, Meche. For, uh, she, I, I know she thinks that I forgot that I asked her to share uh, something with me, but I haven't forgotten. <laughs> she, she knows how my mind works sometimes. But I just want to add one other piece before uh, I have her come up for a second, um, which is that, you know, there, there, are, there are different elements that I've called elements of the long journey and uh, that you need to engage in. This is what I want to talk about uh, in order to, you know, use these as uh, practices of a powerful life. I'm going to talk about the acknowledging, right, confessing. These are things that you have to do in every journey that you undertake in life, okay? These are practices that in all that I preached until now, Sooner or later, I have come to the, one of those uh, elements. And so if you know these elements, you can use them. These are tools for spiritual growth and transformation that you will use in your life over and over again. So I say the first one is <clears throat> acknowledging. Number two, confessing. Number three, renouncing. Number four, affirming and declaring positively it's almost confessing, but in a different way. In the first one, you confess your sin, your condition. In the, in the fourth one, you confess that God is good, that God has great plans for your life, that you will overcome, that you will get into what God has for you. So confessing again, but and affirming positively. 
Number five, claiming. Always in life, you have to claim God's promises. Number six, prophesying. Our new condition, using your words positively. Number seven, visualizing this, this new state that God wants you to come into. You have to visualize it. You have to see it in your, in your spiritual eyes. Praying is another practice of the victorious life. Rebuking, you know, a good Pentecostal word. Rebuking, which involves spiritual warfare. You know, binding uh, the enemy who wants to, you know, stall you and make you trip on the journey toward transformation. Embracing passionately are the, the, the things that God has for you. Uh, repeating, which means insisting and persisting. That's an important one, repetition. And then finally, community and the need to have others around you in the journey. So you will see some of these elements. And, you know, when we're coming to the church this morning and on the car, we were talking. And Major told me about yesterday's uh, event of, for women, which is glorious, by the way, from what I hear. Um, and one of the women who testified about her life journey was um, Blanca Castellano, who's a Honduran woman who God is using greatly in Honduras, as a matter of fact, in one part of Honduras. And so Meche told me, you know, this is exactly when I was telling her some of the elements of the sermon. Um, she uh, describes that, you know, this is, these are some of the elements that I saw yesterday in Blanca Castellano's life. And Blanca is a, an overcomer, an amazing woman whom we have seen grow from just a, you know, a regular person who comes and sits to a woman who is being used mightily by God in Honduras, in one of our ministries there. So I want, and notice when, as Meche uh, shares these, some of these elements that I've alluded to about the journey to self-transformation, to becoming all that God wants us to become. Yeah, Blanca met the Lord in our church uh, about, I would say, maybe eight years, nine years ago. And she brought others to the Lord as well. All her family served the Lord in an active way in our congregation. And the, what I asked the three women that shared their testimonies yesterday was to speak about the challenges that, and the difficulties that they had to confront during the pandemic, through back the last year, the last 20, uh, 12, 13 months, and how God had been merciful and had provided for their needs. And she was sharing that uh, at the beginning of the pandemic for several months, she was overcome by fear. Uh, she is not a fearful woman, or, she has, or God has allowed her to overcome her past fears. But with the pandemic, with all the issues about COVID and, and the fear of being infected, of her family being infected, she she became a totally different person, you know, almost paralyzed. She uh, went to, you know, some prudent measures, but also she went to extreme. And also it was the, the fact that it was locked in her heart and her mind, this fear. Uh, you know, things like, you know, she wouldn't allow her husband to come into the house until, you know, for some time he had gone, taken a shower, changed clothes, you know, spent some time. I don't know if he, even she sprayed him, you know. I've seen, I've heard about that in some families. And, and what she, she saw was that she's a, a, a very, she's a pillar in her home. So she was influencing her family in that way as well. And she was seeing how the fear was gripping her family as well. You know, her granddaughter started saying, I don't want daddy to come back into the house after work. He has to be, you know, be several hours, you know, being, 
you know, cleaned up before he can come into the house. So, you know, it was making uh, an impact in the family. Until, and then one thing that really struck her was that at some point she heard several times her family members saying, we can't bring the repairman in because our mom, you know, she's of age already and she can get sick, you know, and she's, you know, she's scared of getting sick. So it was when she heard that how her own posture, you know, facing this issue of the pandemic was affecting her family, it made her think, wait a minute, I'm, there is something wrong here. This is not who I am. So she, she went to the Lord, you know, uh, and, and of course he revealed to her, you know, you have been overcome by fear. And she, you know, she fought the good battle, you know, in prayer and, and talking to God about the situation. Uh, identifying, like Roberto said before, identifying what the problem was. And, you know, in that process, you know, she became free, she, free to become who God said she is. And so uh, after all this process of, of, of acknowledging the issue, repenting of it, you know, identifying it first, going to the Lord, doing spiritual battle. Then she, you know, God spoke to her heart. Uh, she has a ministry, a beautiful ministry in Honduras where in her, in, in, in her house, uh, she, uh, there's an area that she built herself uh, where she feeds families in the community. And these are people, it's not that they have little, it's some of them have nothing, you know. So she knew that these families, uh, during all the, the, you know, the pandemic, they had been going, they, they were suffering hunger, actually. You know, people that she knew, that she had ministered to for several years. So the Lord put in her heart to go back, even in spite of it being, you know, COVID season, you know, she'd still decided to go back. And the way that God opened doors and used her is, is just a, such a, a beautiful and impactful story. Uh, she went back uh, with, she doesn't have a lot of resources, you know, financially or otherwise, but she moved, you know, the world and she was able to start feeding these families in her community. Um, it was, I, I think, four times a week. She's, you know, cooking for them, ministering to them, singing songs, talking to them about the Lord. Uh, which is something that she has done in the past. She does that for several months every year. Uh, so she, that started again. And one thing that happened when she was ready to come back to, to the States, um, if, if you remember, in Honduras there were two hurricanes. Uh, I think, if I don't, I'm not mistaken, it was November, December of last year. And so she couldn't come back. Right when she was ready to come back, she couldn't because of that situation. And again, you know, Lord, the Lord spoke to her heart and she said, what can I do as a woman with, you know, not many resources here? And, and one of the things that God put in her heart was to go to the area of need, which was a far, not close to where she lives. Uh, her, the area where she lives in Honduras or where she has her house in Honduras, is, um, is, it wasn't affected by the hurricanes. Uh, so, but she would travel three to four hours to another area. And her idea was, Lord, give me, provide for me so I can feed people that have nothing. And people lost everything, their houses, their, their income because their uh, workplaces were destroyed, uh, everything. They lost everything. Family members also, there were some, you know, people who died in this, uh, for the, uh, after these hurricanes. And she, she 
that God put that in her heart, and she said, okay, God, if you have put that in my, in my heart, you know, and this is who I am. I'm a woman who ministers to the needs of people. I am a woman who, who loves people. I want to minister to their, their practical need in, the, in this time. And, you know, she said, well, I, let me prepare uh, something. Uh, she knows that people in Honduras, they eat a lot of tortillas. In, in Central America, many people eat tortillas. You all know what a tortilla is, right? Uh, so she said, I want to feed them something hot. Even if it's something little, I want to feed them, Lord. And one day she was walking, you know, driving around in, in her town, and she saw a man that was pulling out of his trunk some uh, packages of tortillas. And, and she, uh, she couldn't get in contact to him right then, but she, she told her, uh, her sister was driving, said, go, follow that man. Let's follow him. He has the tortillas that we need. So she, they followed him until he, you know, he stopped. And, and again, you know, she got out of her car and, and asked the man, you know, where, where do you get these tortillas from? And he said, well, I, I have a small factory in my home. And so right then, then she made a, an agreement with him to buy the tortillas for him. And then and, uh, a few days later, she's, you know, she was thinking, what do, I, what do I put inside the tortillas? Well, okay, cheese and beans, okay. And again, with a friend, she was, the friend was saying, you know, casually saying, well, I, I, I'm going to go get some cheese from someone who makes cheese. And of course, you know, right away, you know, thinking, okay, huh, cheese, I need cheese. So how, you know, tell me about that. And so it's just somebody who prepares, you know, uh, makes uh, cheese in, in their home. And, she's, and, and she, she is a daring woman. And she said, okay, can you buy 20 pounds of cheese for me and have it deliver it to me tonight? And, and the woman said, yes, I can do that for you. And she prepared the beans. So for, you know, several months, she, every, I, think, I, don't, I don't remember exactly if it was once or twice a week, she would get up very early in the morning, you know, like 1, 2 in the morning. The tortillas were delivered at that time. And she, with, with one or two other women, would prepare uh, little rolls of these tortillas and bring them to this area of need. And there she was able to not only give them, you know, the, the, the wrap, the tortilla wrap, and, and minister to a very practical need of hunger, but she was able to also minister the love of Christ there with her smile, with her embrace. And interesting thing is that, you know, this is during the time of the pandemic, and God protected her. She didn't get sick of anything, not, not only not COVID, but nothing else. And, and what a beautiful example that is of someone, again, you know, someone that, who knew her identity but got lost for some time with the issue of fear, acknowledged it, you know, put name on it, went to the Lord, asked for forgiveness, and, and decided to, it, after, you know, some spiritual warfare to become again who God said she was. And in that posture of authority, she then ministered in the way that God has made her to do. So she truly became free to do what God wanted her to do. And so it's a, it's a beautiful testimony of, of God's love and provision in, in a life of one of our own. Thank you. So as you can see, this is not a theory. Here you have a person who has a situation, acknowledges that she's suffering from, in this case, fear and uh, obsessiveness, a little bit of obsessiveness, compulsiveness. She recognizes that, you know, 
brings it before God, you know, rejects that, embraces a new state, and then enters into a journey of great productiveness because she's doing an amazing job in Honduras where she has a house. She has a house here, but she travels all the time to Honduras and gathers uh, all, the, all that she can, often from people from the church, who then, uh, you know, that money, all of that is transmitted back to Honduras. And this woman who could be at home bedridden is doing an extraordinary work in another country, blessing so many others. So this is the idea, you know, of God taking us from where we are, because I know Blanca, we know Blanca since she was, you know, just a fresh believer, just a normal, you know, human being, uh, not highly educated or anything like that. And actually, she's doing work that many, even many professional ministers and others would really envy, if, that, if that's a possible image, um, you know, doing tremendous work because God took her from that place where she was at to a place of great, great fruitfulness. And this is what God wants us to do. And this is what God wants you to do. I mean, God has great plans for your life, for my life. It doesn't matter whether you're highly educated or not, theologically prepared. It really does not matter. When you have the Spirit of God in you and you let that Spirit work within you, you can do great exploits for God. And, and so you can see some of these elements of transformation that um, are typical of the life of a Blanca uh, Castellanos. So, uh, you know, these elements that I've talked about of the long journey, these are practices and attitudes that, you know, anybody can use to become, and, and, and this, is, this is like the structural um, rendition of all that we have been talking about. So that first one, acknowledging is an important one. We have to acknowledge inwardly, wholeheartedly, who we truly are. We have to acknowledge our specific needs and condition before going to where God wants to take us. I see many people spinning their wheels in life, always the same, always navigating the same defects, the same attitudes, the same self-destructive habits, because they don't acknowledge their needs. They don't, they don't name um, their limitations. And so until we name our limitations and, and fully acknowledge them, there can be no transformation. And we need not be afraid of doing it because uh, God already knows who we are, but he needs that acknowledgement in order to take us to where we need to be. And if we don't, like, like, like David, if we don't uh, speak from where we are, then our bones, you know, weaken within us. So um, we need to acknowledge. I, I think of Psalms 51, which is that famous psalm of confession of David after he had committed a grave sin. And, and, and in verse 3 of Psalm 51, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. He had just committed a terrible sin of adultery, of uh, killing a, a, a just man to cover his sin. And there he is. He's saying, I know my transgressions. I know what I have done. See, he didn't, he didn't sort of try to wave it away, give another name to it. When he was confronted by God, which he was, he bowed his head and he said, yes, I have sinned. No resistance, no trying to give it another name, nothing. Total acknowledgement. See, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is always 
before me. And by the way, many times when you commit grave sins, you know, uh, the tendency is to become obsessive about it. And the devil will use your sin <clears throat> to condemn you and to weaken you and to debilitate you. And that's the other extreme. We, you must not allow that either. Because there are people who reject their sin and don't recognize it. And then there are others who become so overwhelmed by their sin that it's always there. Before them, they, they become obsessive about it. They don't dare to serve God or to, or to undertake things on behalf of the kingdom of God because they feel unworthy. And either, either extreme is bad. Either total rejection of your sin and not acknowledging it or so much over, over becoming overwhelmed by your sense of sinfulness that it becomes uh, something destructive. And both the extremes are bad. And the devil gets great benefit out of either extreme. We must find that middle point of acknowledging in a healthy fashion and then going from there knowing that God, there's no condemnation, the Bible says, to those who are justified by God. So you got you to walk that line. But acknowledging is a very important piece of any journey of transformation. Number two, confessing which is almost the same, but, I, but it's not quite. I mean, you, when you acknowledge, but confessing <clears throat> means that you actually do what he does in, in Psalm 51, which you verbalize. I, I put here confessing before God and even before others. You know, I think it is important. People who are powerful in the kingdom of God, they don't go around uh, sort of... Uh, blowing their own horn or kind of uh, pretending that they're super men or super women. They, they are not afraid of acknowledging who they are. And, and uh, we have learned that when you walk humbly before others and before God, when you verbalize, I mean, I think it's healthy. Your children need to hear you say, I'm afraid. Your children need to hear you say, I made a mistake. Your children need to know when you have sinned. Your children need to be brought into, you know, the struggles and the dramas of your life. Your community needs to know that. Because people are out there thinking, I'm the only one who has this problem. And the pastor, forget it, he has overcome everything. He's, he walks on water. Not necessarily. And we need to give people that grace of, uh, you know, outing ourselves, so to speak. Letting people know that we are made of flesh and blood. And, and in that uh, confessing that way, verbally, outwardly, before the Lord, before our community, in, in appropriate ways. You don't have to be throwing everything out into the open. But in ways that are not destructive, that don't place unnecessary burdens on people, I think is an important element. And that's very healthy because, you know, Satan has no power when you confess. Satan has no power over a man or a woman who walks in openness of life. Satan cannot accuse you because you've already accused yourself. I mean... What can he do? So that openness, that confessing before God and before others, verbally and in prayer. So I think acknowledging is inward. Confessing is an outward action. Um, and again, remember what, Psalm, uh, what uh, Psalms 32 says, the verse that I read. When I kept silent, my bones wore out within me. First John 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, what? He is faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us. I didn't give you that verse, Marlene. That's okay. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. There are so many references in the Bible to confessing 
And we don't have to confess just before God. We can confess before others. I mean, there's that wonderful passage, I think it's in James, where James says, you know, confess your sins once to the other, one to the other. You know, that has been interpreted as meaning go to a confessor, a professional confessor in church and confess yourself, you know, officially in a little confessional booth and stuff like that. No, it talks about the, it's just, we have to, we have to have a community of people who, that we confess each other, our, to each other our sins. And then we have to have a community that is, that is uh, healthy and, and compassionate that will accept that confession and not sort of, you know, throw it out into the open or be scandalized or reject you or see you as being any less. That's part of it also. For people to be open, we need a community that can handle that openness in a way that is appropriate. So this idea of confessing outwardly is the guide to emotional health and to growth. You first have to acknowledge inwardly. You have to confess outwardly and, and persistently. Make that a habit of your life. Again, in appropriate ways. Number three, if I were a better man, by the way, I would have those things on top on the screen there. I, I'm sorry, but maybe you can just make a note there. And may, as I say, you can go to the website and you can follow me on this uh, very schematic uh, outline that I did there. So number three, renouncing. In every journey of self-transformation and growth, you're going to have, uh, there's going to be places where you need to renounce certain things. It's a good habit. What, what do I mean by renouncing? And by the way, renouncing sincerely, single-mindedly, in a focused, deliberate sort of way. Renounce, what, is it, what, what do you do when you renounce? You say no. You reject. You sort of put your hand like that, no more. That is what you do when you renounce. You, you say no to a past way of behaving in a very resolute, decided sort of way. Titus, which is a little book in the New Testament, the book of Titus, Paul wrote that book to Titus. Verses two, uh, verses, verse 12, Titus 2, 12. This is what the apostle says. He says in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You know, it struck me this morning as I meditated on that verse, the contrast between grace and uh, teaching us to say no. It says, for the grace of God has appeared. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Because, you know, nowadays there's this confusion that somehow if you are gracious, that God's grace sort of says, you know, hey, go ahead, affirms everything. That's okay. You know, do what you need to do. I understand you're struggling, whatever. You know, I've, it's a very lackadaisical way of looking at the kingdom. The grace of God gives you power to say no. The grace of God calls you to a higher life. See, there's no contradiction between grace and the call to holiness. And this is what this culture is getting wrong. And many sectors of the church are getting wrong. This idea that if you point out what is sinful, that somehow you're being mean-spirited and pharisaic. No, there are ways of pointing things out that are gracious in order for the person to go to the next level. If the person is not alerted to what is wrong with their life and their behavior, how can they then please God? And, you know, this is a demonic um, uh, strategy to keep the church from calling people into that holiness that God calls us into. By saying, oh, if I say this, if I point that out, then I'm being, you know, self-righteous and, and condemnatory. No, 
you know, the grace of God points out and it teaches you to say no. And this is what we have to do in our lives. Those defects in our character, behavior, our way of treating others, practices that destroy us. It, it, we have to renounce them. We have to say no. And renouncing is a very active thing. There has to come a point in your life where you, where you say no more. I refuse to continue doing this which destroys my life and which shackles me. You have to come to this point of absolute abhorrence of your sin until people get to that point of absolutely hating their condition and of finding no peace when they practice certain things. When, they, when you get to that point, that's when God then begins to work in your life. And sometimes, you know, part of what we need to do is to, to ask God to take us there. Mitch, can I have a water, please? Thank you. Um, you know, ask God to take us there. Sometimes, you know, the, the solution to our, our struggle is just saying, God, take me to the point where I hate my sin. And by the way, this bread looks so good here for the Holy the Supper. Mm. I think I'm going to take it with me when I go home. <laughs> Sorry, a little, a little uh, levity there. Such, uh, such sublime, serious matters. It looks really good. So, you know, we need to come to that point of renouncing, saying no, hating our sin, hating whatever condition. If I'm abusive to others, if I am, you know, uh, vengeful when people do something to me, I just resent it and I keep it there. You know, I have to acknowledge that. Don't, don't name, don't call it something else. And get to that point where you hate doing that. If you have a mouth that is a bit obscene, you know, and you get, ask God, take me to the point where I, I abhor what I am doing. And, and, I, and then bring it to me. See, don't, don't get overly obsessed about it either, okay? But you have to get to that point where you hate it. it. It's like a thorn in your flesh. When you get to that point, the Holy Spirit then begins to ask. Because as I said, I've said earlier, sometimes we don't hate our demons enough. Actually, we like them. And they comfort us. They're crutches. And we're afraid of letting them go because we've lived with them so long that then all of a sudden we find ourselves alone. And uh, self-dependent or dependent on God. So we keep them secretly. We say to God, yes, deliver me, but, you know, not yet. And uh, so you have to get to that point of renouncing sincerely, single-mindedly. And ask God to take you there if you're not feeling that pain enough. All right? Renouncing in a, in a balanced way again. Number four, confessing. That's an important element of the journey to self-transformation. Uh, and here, is, this is a different thing. You see, I've said that you confess your sins. That's confessing in a, in a sort of in a remedial sort of way. You confess your sin. Have mercy on me, O God. And so on and so forth. But here, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm using it in a different way. Confessing in, in the way of affirming, of declaring something in a positive way. Uh, this is a positive confession in the best sense of the expression. You have to learn to speak positively about, you know, where you are and where God wants to take you. You have to, as the Bible says, you know, the Bible says that God calls things that are not. How? As if they are. You know? God uh, tells Gideon when, uh, when the angel f finds Gideon in a cave, afraid of the enemy, you know, threshing wheat there in the, in the, inside a cave. He says, the Lord was, is with you, strong and mighty warrior. And, and uh, Gideon says, who, me? I'm the smallest of my tribe. My tribe is the smallest tribe in Israel. How could God be with me? 
And how can I be this strong and mighty warrior that you're calling me? Well, God was looking at this man that Gideon was going to become. He was going to become the liberator of Israel. He wasn't going to do great exploits. Look at us talking about him 3,000 plus years afterward. But in that moment, um, Gideon's self-image didn't see himself that way. But God called him. And, you know, we have to learn how to prophesy our greatness into being. I, I've learned that uh, people who are resilient and uh, progressive in their life journey, they have learned to speak positively, even as they recognize their own limitations. They use the power of words to prophesy uh, situations into being. That's very important. Actions and words that are positive, they, they are like keys into the spiritual world, and they unlock energies, both in the spiritual realm and in our inside as well, that um, release the power of God on our behalf and that enable us to go to the next level. Learn to speak positively about what you, you know, when, when I'm in a project or something like that, I'm always talking about it. And I'm always uh, saying things about it that I expect and so on. And it's a practice for me because it reinforces me in my, this, my um, intentions. It uh, actually declares things in the spiritual realm. It inspires others. And it also prepares others so that when they see it happen, they are blessed and uh, uh, strengthened in their own faith. So I, I've learned, even sometimes when I feel like a wimp, I speak like a lion. And, um, you know, because I have learned the power of words. We are creative beings. And as you speak, you will also become. So learn to speak positively. Learn to take advantage of every opportunity to say something good about your life, about others, about your children, what you expect to see in them in the future. Bless them with the words of affirmation. And bless yourself with words of, you know, this is what I'm going to become. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to accomplish. Because as you speak, so you will be. Okay? So we have to confess, affirm, declare positively our inevitable victory. Our condition of being a transformed human being in anticipation of becoming that. This, is, this talks about the importance of verbalizing, prophesying, speaking positively as a way of reinforcing what God is doing within us. Learn to verbalize your expectations in whatever area of life. Learn to speak positively. I think it takes as much energy to speak positively as to speak negatively. And there's a lot of people that you cannot get them to say something positive even if, even if you kill them. Oh, you look so, you look so good today. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, I need to lose some more weight because uh, this and this and that. And, you know, yeah, no, but this clothes, I, I don't really like them. I put them on because it's the only thing I had today. Hey, accept it. Say thank you. Enjoy. And make sure you put that same set of clothes again on sometime in the future as well. All right? You need to, you need to speak positively about the things that you want to achieve in your life, the projects that you're undertaking. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 say, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And this is the punchline here. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is an image that brings a lot of joy to my heart. You know, because here you are, you're in 20 Reed Street, 
Roxbury, Massachusetts, and you may be having all kinds of problems in your life, limitations, shackles, addictions, you know, things that hold you back. But the Bible says that you're not here on 20 Street. Spiritually, you are seated in the heavenly realms to the right hand of God with Jesus Christ. Wow. What a promotion, you know. And, and, and you, have to, you have to say this. He says, he seated us. He raised us up. He's speaking in the future, in the, in, in the past, as if it's a, it's, a, it's a reality, you know. And that's what I mean. When you learn those verses, that's why I memorize Scripture. Because these verses, they come to me all the time. And they strengthen me in times of struggle. So learn to affirm and declare the goodness of God in your life and what he's going to do for you, okay? Uh, number five. So I've talked about, again, just going over again, I've talked about acknowledging our, our needs, confessing them before God and others, renouncing our ways, declaring positively and confessing our inevitable victory. And number five, claiming. Claiming. If you're involved in any journey of transformation, claiming is an important thing. What do we claim? We claim God's promises for ourselves. We personalize them. We internalize them. There's about three verses of Isaiah that have brought great comfort to me in the past few months. And I wrote them down um, in hand, and I carry that card with me all the time. And, and I, when I read those verses, I hear God speaking directly to me. And it's as if the Father himself is sitting down right next to me and whispering these words to me, Roberto, not to Isaiah or to the people of Israel when they were in their time of affliction, to me personally. I have, I have owned those words. I have claimed those promises for myself. And we have to do that in life. If you don't know how to claim God's promises for your life, you're going to be stuck in the same rut always. You know, I think of uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, a verse that brings great joy to my life. It says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. I'm reading from the King James, by the way. Not, uh, you know, I, well, I like the King James because the King James, just like in Spanish, uh, God is speaking in the past tense. Every place I, 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 that I have given unto you. The NIV is very wimpy. It says, I will give to you. No, I think the, the original Hebrew is, I have given to you. Even if right now you don't have it all, I have given it to you. Because God loves to speak in the past tense when it comes to promises, as if they're a reality. We have to learn to speak that way. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Now, what can I do with that verse? I can just take it as a neutral, historical affirmation that took place 3,000 years ago. Or I can say, that is a promise that's in the Bible, and it's for me. I claim it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I claim my family. I claim my emotional life. I claim my past, my future, my present. I claim the future of my children. God has great plans for their lives. And I confess it and declare and believe it and own it and walk within that expectation. You, you, you claim things for yourself. The, those things that have been written in the Bible are for you. The vast majority, there may be a couple of that, but, but I think most of these things were registered there so that we could own them. And if you believe it, it shall be so for you. So you have to claim God's promises for yourself. Any person who walks in victory and overcoming has learned to own 
and internalize words of promise that were given perhaps to others in other circumstances, but they are applicable to us. And this is what makes the, the, the word of God something alive because it is, it is ever, ever putting itself up to date in people's lives. These are principles that were declared for the universal history so that people who have the, 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 the strength to claim it, you're like an antenna. God's promises are circulating all over the universe. Just like now we have all kinds of sounds and, and uh, waves, visual waves all over that we don't see. An antenna picks up those emanations. And you're an antenna for the promises of God. If you can believe that, if you can claim it for yourself, it will be so. Claim, learn to claim the promises of God. So claiming is an important element of the journey towards self-transformation. A sixth element that you will use always in your life as you grow is prophesying. We have to learn to prophesy. It's a good biblical word. It's not just for Pentecostals. It is a word for any believer who wants to live a powerful life. We have to prophesy by declaring and affirming our new condition. Prophesying is when you say, this is what's going to happen, even if you're not sure that it's going to happen. You learn to just say it in a prophetic I think the key here is you have to say it in a deliberate, prophetic, spiritual, supernatural stance. Um, you are prophesying things into action, creating. Let there be light, said the Lord, because God is the greatest prophet of all. Did you know that? And you are his descendant, so his DNA is in you. So you can also prophesy things into being. You can also claim things and, and declare that they are so, even if you don't see them yet. You, the word, the, 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 the active pronounce, pronunciation of something, if it's in God's will, it will become so in your life. Okay, you are healed, says Jesus many times, and the person is still there on the floor. But when he says that word, it becomes a reality. That is prophesying. So look at, look at David fighting Goliath. It's an example. of First uh, Samuel 17 Beginning with verse 45. Here's David, this wimpy kid. He wasn't such a kid, by the way. He was probably 20-something, 25 years old. Um, and, um, you know, he has this guy who measures about eight feet with a sword that's probably as tall as he is. Okay? And full of armor. And David is just, you know, in regular clothes with, you know, five little stones and a sling. And my sister, uh, Jean, there prophesied to me this morning. God said to me, as she was speaking to me about something about her life, said, listen, that's for you. And I, I, that activated my spiritual. Uh, but, you know, look at David. He's coming before this mighty warrior who is disdaining him and saying, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the earth. And, but this is what David said. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And here's this prophecy. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. You see, he still hasn't thrown one single stone. But he's already saying what's going to happen. It's like he's reading the newspaper tomorrow. David kills the giant. Okay. This, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. He's really getting enthusiastic. You know, he's seeing it all. You know. He's believing his own rhetoric here. And I'll strike you down and, and, and I'll cut off your head. 
This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God, that there is a God in Israel. I mean, is he really believing what he's saying? I mean, he's seeing it. He's declaring it in detail. That's another thing. You know, when you prophesy, you have to learn to speak as if you're watching the movie right there. And you are declaring what you are seeing. So he goes into great detail about what's going to happen. He's prophesying. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Exactly what happened. Now, did David know 100,000% that, that that was going to happen? I'm sure he was quaking in his knees, brothers and sisters. But he's speaking as a mighty warrior. He's prophesying things into being. And that's what you have to learn to walk in your life. You know, you have to, you have to even if you don't believe it, just say it anyway, okay? You know, psychologists and the sports um, uh, mentors and trainers and psychiatrists and neurologists say that when you visualize certain things, actually it activates certain sectors of your neurology and of your brain. Um, so, for example, if a person is visualizing themselves playing the piano, if they are, let's say, pianists, and sometimes, you know, that actually, as they visualize, those places in the brain that have to deal with music and with actually executing those motions are activated as if the person is actually playing it. And it happens in many ways. This is why visualizing is such an important part of uh, athletic training. And uh, look at Muhammad Ali talking about what he, he was going to do to his opponents. It's like he was living it. And, um, you know, athletes, musicians, they have learned to speak positively about what they are doing and to visualize it clearly. That's what they're doing. They're prophesying in a sense because it's not just in the realm of the spirit. It's in the realm of the brain. When you, when you speak positively as if you were experiencing certain things, it actually activates and energizes those areas of your uh, neurology. And uh, it, it reinforces those positive creative energies. So speaking positively and prophesying and expecting, it's, it's, a, it's a very good thing to do. So learn how to prophesy into being your conceptions. Okay? Um, this, one of the songs that we sang this morning struck me in that sense. It says, I will live, I will not die. The resurrection power of Christ alive in me. And I am free in Jesus' name. I will live, I will not die. I will declare and lift you high. Christ revealed and I am healed in Jesus' name. Do you see that positive, that, that affirmation there, that confession? I will live, I will not die. Just in case there's any doubt about it. Okay. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated, and we will shout it out. Shout it out. Amen. Do you see there? A declaration of a reality, a positive confession, visualizing, calling in uh, something that is in the, as if it were in the past that is still yet to be revealed. These are all elements of what I'm talking about, confessing, acknowledging, visualizing, celebrating, so on and so forth. And that leads me to number seven, which I just mentioned, are visualizing. And I want to isolate that um, motion in a moment. Um, visualizing. You know, again, in, in sports, uh, visualization is crucial. In the area of um, life, um, 
you know, what do you call that, uh, mentoring and so on. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very important process. What you visualize, again, remember what I've said, that when you visualize something, it activates certain elements in your brain and in your neurology. I've always been fascinated by it, and I've learned the beauty and the power that there is in visualization. Years ago, I started training myself to see in the dark, so to do a lot of things, not needing to look at things, and that has actually come back to haunt me because I've become so used to not seeing things. I turn lights on, I don't think about it. I grab my phone and not even thinking about it, and then that has its problems too. But you know, I, 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 I've gotten a lot of benefit out of uh, not depending on my sight, my physical sight, to do things and to visualize. If I put a, something in the darkness in a place, just knowing where it was and just grabbing it as if I'm seeing it. Uh, blind people, they depend on that. They have, they have learned to compensate for the lack of physical sight by seeing things in their mind. And it is such a powerful thing. Train yourself to visualize. Train yourself to see things in the screen of your mind. Because when you're able to do that, extraordinary things happen. One of the greatest passages for visualizing is in Hebrews 11. And it mentions it several times. This idea, uh, and I see it everywhere. For example, Jesus, because of the joy set before him, disdained suffering. He, he was seeing what was going to come out of his uh, sacrifice. Hebrews 11.13 says about the great heroes of the faith who died without actually seeing the things that they were yearning for. It says, all these people, Hebrews eleven thirteen, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And you know, I've always been captivated by that fact that these people, they did not actually with their eyes see what they were dreaming of and, and about these great visions that God has given them about the future. But actually, you know, they almost didn't need to. They saw them in the, in the round, the screen of their minds and the spirit, and they welcomed them from a distance. You know, in Spanish, it says, they greeted them. Y la saludaron. You know, they were so sure of the vision that they were able to greet them as if they were reality. It's as if they were seeing them saying, hi, it's great to see you. I'm glad you have been realized in my life. That's how real it was to them. And, you know, we need to be able to visualize. We need to see ourselves as what we can become. We need to rehearse this image of our redeemed, renovated, sanctified self over and over again until it becomes a reality. Many of us don't experience great things in our life because we don't visualize great things. You know, what is it that you want to become? How, how do you see yourself in 30 years from now? How do you see your future? With the, having bought your own house, having gotten a degree, having overcome certain, you know, bondages in your life, having uh, overcome other bad habits, having a better job, getting a promotion, learning to drive, learning a new language, learning to play an instrument. You know, how do, how do you, have, are you able to see that greater self and to wave it and welcome it into your life? Do you dream? Do you visualize? Do you daydream in the spirit, not just mere daydreams? Are you able to have visions of uh, what you are going to become? Visions can be a powerful thing. The dream that I had of the Lion of Judah 30 years ago gave birth to all kinds of beautiful things in my life and ministry. 
And that dream has oriented me throughout my entire life. And other dreams of that nature, other visions, other things that God has put in my spirit that I, 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 you know, when you have that capacity to lose yourself in your visions, it's an amazing gift. And you need to cultivate it. You can. You can. Maybe life has pummeled you and hit you so hard that it has killed the capacity to sing and dream. But you can learn how to visualize the great vistas that God has before you. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Visualizing is a powerful thing. Praying. Praying is a key element, you know. Prayer activates. Can I, do we need to speak about prayer? You know that you need to pray your dreams and your visions for future life into reality. Prayer is the, probably the, the most important instrument because in prayer you visualize, you confess, you declare, you rehearse, you renounce, you rebuke. Prayer brings together all of these elements that I'm talking about along with other ways that you can exercise these godly habits. But, you know, I've learned to pray my dreams into reality. I've learned to pray my struggles into submission by the power of God. If you have a ministry in your life, you need to seed it. You need to fertilize it continually with prayer. You need to take your dreams and your visions and you need to bring them before the Lord over and over again. What is it that you want to become? The Lord says, I'm here. Ask me and I shall give you even half of the world. God wants you to speak. He says, we don't receive because we don't ask. You know? And, and uh, God needs to hear from you. So you need to pray your dreams into reality. You need, you need to pray your transformations into reality. Prayer, we have talked about it in the past. It's a crucial element of a transformed, transforming life. Pray insistently, routinely. We must pray into reality our vision of our redeemed selves. Number nine, rebuking that good Pentecostal word. Rebuking demonic powers who will oppose us in our journey towards self-transformation. There will inevitably be spiritual warfare in any journey toward self-transformation. And in our times of prayer, we must include rebuking spiritual warfare. The enemy only knows how to kill, steal, and destroy. He's an expert at stealing dreams. <clears throat> He's an expert at, at uh, the person, the woman who, you know, at the age of 50 decided, I'm going to learn how to drive. <clears throat> she goes, gets her test, passes it, buys her car. And the first trip to the supermarket, she crashes the car into a pole. And then she says, you know what? This is it. I don't want it. She stops there, never goes back to driving. That's spiritual warfare. Satan is a great destroyer of dreams. Satan is a cynic. And he loves to take your first efforts and turn them into failure so that then you will be marked by it. And you need to just get back on the horse and continue riding. You, when you fall, just get up, try again. There will be an enemy. When Jesus healed <clears throat> the woman with the, who was uh, bent over all these years of her life, and, and she was able to walk again, immediately the, 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 uh, the leader of the synagogue said, Hey, why do you, how, how can you dare to heal on the Sabbath? What a jerk. Because, the, you know, I, the, the devil is there. When he sees a person trying to get up in their life, he will immediately amass all kinds of negative energies against them to see if you will be stalled, to see if you will 
you know, I remember when Katia, the young lady who was preaching here a while ago, she says, you know, it's a game of chicken. When you decide to take a journey of faith and of self-transformation, the devil will be right at the door waiting for you to come out to try to stall you. He will bring all kinds of opposition. He will try to quash your dreams. And he will oppose you to see if you give up easily. But the Bible, the Bible says that you have to stand your ground. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now, if when he starts resisting you and you start experiencing certain setbacks, you give up, he won the battle. You have to persist and you have to rebuke Satan. You have to directly address him. You will not kill my dream. You will not hold me back. You will not keep me small. I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ and I call the blood of Christ upon you. I will not die. I will live. And I order you to flee. And I bind you in the name of Christ. This is the kind of language that we must use on the way to our dreams. Rebuking. I wish I had more time. Maybe we can separate a, a section for that someday. Very important. Three more and I'll run through them. Embracing. Embracing is something that you need to learn to do in your journey for self-transformation. And you must embrace passionately. You must embrace passionately your desired, envisioned, new personal reality. We must welcome fully the new state that God has prepared for us. Instead of secretly rejecting it, doubting it, or being lukewarm toward it. Many people don't get to their dreams because they're passive, they're lukewarm, they're slightly indifferent, they don't pay the price up front. I always tell people, pay up front. You have to embrace your dreams single-mindedly. You have to just grab on to them um, as strongly as you can. Many of us are somewhat, you know, oh yes, I'd like to do that someday. You know, we, we, we put a little effort on there and uh, you know let's see if it works if it doesn't work that's okay I tried we are lukewarm uh, about our our dreams you, you need to own them you need to seal them with blood you need to put your signature on them you need to embrace them fully you can't just as I say before you know sometimes we ask God do this but secretly we're saying don't not, not yet not fully I still keep keep a piece of it you know, I'll give you all this, but you know, this piece here, I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to it. And, and the devil is a great psychologist. He will see your indecisiveness. And God, forget it, even more so. You have to embrace your dreams fully. You have to cultivate those dreams and, and bring them into fruition by embracing them and living and sleeping with them. Number two, 11, repeating, persisting, insisting. This is an element of uh, the journey of uh, tra self-transformation. Persistence is key and insistence. If you cannot persist and discipline yourself as you pursue your dreams, you're dead in the water because there will be many setbacks. Remember what I said earlier in the sermon before, there will be setbacks. The journey of self-transformation has many stops and sometimes many falls and you have to just get back up and continue. You have to take that for granted that there are going to be setbacks on the journey to self-transformation. And you're not going to get there just through a perfect line. There will be setbacks, stops, deviations, getting back on track. And you just got to factor that in. You got to take it as part of the whole journey. But you got to 
you know, you got to persist. You got to have, you have to have a long-term vision. Very important in the journey to self-transformation and success. You have to have a long-term vision. If you, if you like quick, easy rewards, you will never become all that God wants you to become. You have to know that it's going to take years and that, you know, when the, the journey stops, when you die and then you're glorified. But until then, you, you're going to be slaying giants. You're going to have many, many uh, stops on the way. But you just, your part, simply keep walking in faith. So what? You, you bang your knee. Don't worry. Just get back up. Don't look at what you lost. Just continue. Don't worry about it. Your part is to obey. Your part is to walk. Whatever inch of ground is before you, move it. And then God will open the, the next stage. And if, if you stop there for a while, it's because God wants you to learn a lesson. And then when you learn that lesson, he says, okay, now here's the other inch. And then walk the, the next inch. The journey of self-transformation and success takes a long time. And you have to have long-term vision in order to achieve your dreams. Finally, community. So this is the, the most kind of casual of all of the ones that I've mentioned community you need advocates and you need allies and you need friends and you need companions for the journey you know we, we all need them we, and, and you have to be a good companion for the journey for others that are involved in that journey you have to be an encourager you have to be a healer you have to be a, a, a comforter when your companion your friends are you know low and down and feeling failed tell them to get up encourage them love them and seek friends you need you need people to enlist as your advocates in the journey don't be so self-sufficient and so um, incapable of admitting your needs that you say oh I can do it by myself never never resilient people are people who enlist friends in the journey look around and find people who will who, who are positive in their own journey people who are constructive people who are also pursuing their own dreams like you don't look for individuals that are destructive I mean you will be what your company is in Spanish it says dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres tell me who you walk with and I'll tell you who you are no you need people who will inspire you need people who are ambitious constructive creative that are um, in the same journey of self-transformation as you are but you need companions okay friends who will comfort you when you're down you, you have to be an avid cultivator of good friendships, all right? You have to be an expert at enlisting good companions in the journey. Look for positive, godly, mature, enterprising, creative, constructive people. Don't go around for people who have just their head in the internet all the time. That's what you'll become. Come on, don't engage in stupid conversations. Make every minute count of your life. You're a man, you're a woman on a journey. You don't have time to waste. Every day you have to get up and say, this is the day when I will reach my vision. And God will make it possible because he's committed to your success. Amen and amen. So embrace your call right now. Lord, in Jesus' name. Oh, we hear you say, I know the thoughts that I have for you. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you the end that you desire. You have called us into greatness. You have called us into success. You have called us into overcoming. We embrace it. And we thank you for it already. It's a reality in your mind. And it will be a reality in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.